KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. The COVID-19 pandemic comes on the heels of a national outbreak of lung injuries associated with vaping. The tragic stories of young people dying or becoming very ill from vaping injuries are still pretty fresh. The CDC says over the last year there are more than 2,800 cases of vaping injuries that were severe enough to put people in the hospital. 68 of them died. The good news is there's been a dramatic decline in severe injuries since September. The bad news is, ask any high schooler or college student, they will likely tell you that vaping is still pretty popular. And so I wondered how vulnerable this population is to severe illness or mortality from COVID-19. I contacted the Temple Lung Center and they connected me with pulmonologist Dr. Jamie Garfield. She's also a national volunteer medical spokesperson for the American Lung Association. Are people who vape, are are they mm-hmm. in greater danger of becoming seriously ill or dying from coronavirus? I think that um, we can split hairs about all the different either demographic features or occupational exposures or social um, exposures that patients have that may put them at slightly increased risk. Uh, than someone else. But really, this is a widespread pandemic, and we expect most people to get infected. And in general, most people will recover in an uneventful fashion. If we had to say who was going to, who is at greatest risk of having um, respiratory failure or really critical illness from COVID-19, we don't know that it's vapors. What we do understand is that it is current smokers, Um, people with hypertension, people with coronary disease, people over 65 years of age. The reasons for the smokers and the hypertension probably has something to do with um, the ACE2 receptor, which is the receptor to which the virus binds in the um, respiratory epithelium. And so I completely am willing to entertain the possibility that um, a smoker and a vapor who might have upregulation of the ACE2 receptors could make it more likely that they will contract this virus, um, make it more likely than the general population, which is very likely to begin with. I think what's more interesting to think about is, and also the, the data is evolving, right? We had some recommendations that came out of China and they've, they've changed a little bit as, as we saw our Italian colleagues comment on this and they'll probably change even further as we see uh, what the American data looks like. Um, I don't think we have enough to know that uh, any particular drug or any particular ethnicity or sex even for that matter, although there's some suggestion that it's uh, more likely to affect men, but I don't think we have any um, anything that we are certain uh, increases our risk for uh, infection with this virus. Um, I will say that in terms of if we say that the large, the, the, the majority of the world, maybe more than 50 percent, certainly, and some people say up to 90 percent will get infected with this virus in the next year. If we look at all of those folks and we try to figure out who is at greatest risk for 
critical illness, probably only 5%, although some some statistics have said up to 20% of, of those who are exposed who develop critical illness. Those people are going to be folks who have a, a limited reserve. And because this is a respiratory infection, anyone who comes to the table with an impaired respiratory system is going to be at greatest risk for consequences. So that's true of all people with chronic lung disease, um, COPD, pulmonary fibrosis, lung cancer, um, active cigarette users, active vapors, um, active you know, cocaine smokers or methamphetamine users, active cannabis smokers, anyone who is putting anything in their lungs besides clean air is going to impair the natural um, mechanisms that the lung has to clear small particles. Um, and that's going to put them at risk for not only getting infected, but developing a more severe version of the infection. What got me thinking about this was we've just really kind yeah. of come through this um, this outbreak sure. of lung injuries from people who have been yeah. vaping. So the good news is the numbers, uh, those numbers are way down. They've dropped dramatically. But right. what made me think about this is I'm watching at the beginning of this pandemic here in the U.S., I'm watching these kids partying over spring break, and I'm hearing sound bites from them on different various news sources, you know, where they basically think that they're invincible. They're not going to get this, or if they do, they're going to be just fine. It's just going to be a mild case. And you right. pair that with, you talk to the kids in this age group, and they will tell you that vaping is still very popular. And so it just made me wonder if that is kind of a recipe right there for disaster. Yeah. I mean, I think that kids are kids think they're invincible. And um, I think, uh, you know, young adults and teens are not adhering to social isolation the way uh, they should. And that means that the virus is going to spread more rapidly uh, within their community than it'll spread um, amongst the community of elderly folks who are pretty much staying in their home. And in general, those kids who get infected should do okay. So, you know, I, I understand where their where their hesitancy comes from. It doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Some of them will die. I mean, some some people in some healthcare providers will die. I think mean, we don't believe that that will happen to the majority of us. We know that this is an occupational hazard, but but uh, the the reasons that really some folks do so poorly uh, and others do okay is not completely clear to us. And so as, as healthcare providers, and so the best thing that we can do right now is really focus on uh, reinforcing the importance of, uh, you know, breathing in healthy, clean air all the time, um, minimizing uh, anything that we're putting into our lungs besides healthy, clean air, and practicing social distancing until we have a control, uh, have a handle on this pandemic. So basically, we're pretty early into this. And I just looked around. I did not see any studies that looked kind of into any connection between vaping and the coronavirus. Is that accurate? That's correct. Okay. That is correct. Mm -hmm. ha have there been previous studies um, uh, vape with vapors and other viral lung infections like pneumonia? Um, I mean, we know that, that vaping does decrease the uh, sort of immune, the ability of the lungs to fight off Viral infections, that is true, that there is an increased risk of uh, viral replication uh, amongst uh, through the airway of those who vape and who smoke. Um, 
There's no real literature actually pointing to COVID-19. And as I sort of alluded to uh, a minute ago, um, that when you vape or smoke um, and you there's any kind of heat or combustion that goes into the across the respiratory epithelium, the cilia, which are the hairs that are coming off the surface of the respiratory epithelial cells, are burned off and they die. And so without these hairs that are constantly intending to be beating to move small particles back out of the lungs, um, you are at more risk of developing uh, any infection, really, um, and any um, exposure because your lungs just don't have the ability to clear it out the way that they are designed to. You mentioned we have learned some things from China about smokers and the coronavirus. So what have we learned from China? And then can you, um, does that basically apply, do you think, to people who also vape? Um, that's a really good question. And the, the data around smokers uh, hinges on this upregulation of the ACE2 receptor. Um, and we don't have that information about vapors. Uh, I, I'm not sure that we have studied that yet. And I could be wrong, but I'm not aware of uh, any evidence that vaping upregulates the expression of the ACE2 receptor. I, I don't think it would be unlikely but I'm not sure that that has been studied so far, um, if that answers your question. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, vaping's been around for 10 years, but but it, it seems like we didn't really, I'm sure you were looking into it, but it's it was, it was, it was sold as a safe alternative to smoking. And, yeah. you know. I mean, the, the Evoli epidemic really um, sh- shined a light on on two huge problems that were happening simultaneously. One was, and, and you know, this is not the focus of your of your paper of your of, your, of this interview, but uh, the Avali epidemic pointed at the lack of regulation around cannabis consumption and distribution, uh, and also the increased use of vaping technology. That's one thing, and then the other thing that the Avali epidemic pointed a finger at was the just made, just unbelievable uh, surge in youth nicotine vaping. And those were two separate things. And I think that uh, we ultimately found that uh, the Avali, those cases of young kids otherwise healthy coming with respiratory failure, was related to contaminated THC products that were being uh, vaporized. Uh, it wasn't probably... Um, at all related to nicotine products. That doesn't mean that we don't have a nicotine cigarette problem in the United States. We do. Um, but the the Avali epidemic kind of folded those two things in together. Um, so I think where we are with this is, and I, I don't think it should be conflated again. I think we need to focus on regulation around nicotine cigarettes um, so that, you know, it's not marketed to kids and so that we control the uh, the amount of nicotine and the uh, other um, substances in addition to nicotine that go into these products. And I think we need better regulation around um, both legalized and uh, medical cannabis production and consumption. So we all know smoking's bad for you. <laughs> Even those of us who don't smoke know we're aware of how hard it is for people to quit. 
And yeah. I'm thinking, you know, now the stress of this pandemic, I'm thinking people might even be smoking more, not less. And is, I mean, now that you, you know, we've kind of come on the back end of this vaping, the the, the injuries is, you know, what you just, just mm-hmm. explained mm-hmm. what it was. So if people who are smoking, you know, are trying to back off because they know that it makes them at greater risk, um, more vulnerable in this pandemic, mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. you recommend, is it safer for them to switch to vaping? Would that be a way for them to, to at least try to lessen their vulnerability? No, uh, my answer is 100% no, and I'll explain to you why. Vaping is not at all uh, recommended for smoking cessation. Um, There are seven FDA-approved therapies that help uh, current smokers quit smoking, and these are nicotine replacement therapies, uh, varincycline, which is Chantix, and bupropion, which is Wellbutrin. And these have been tested and proven to be safe and efficacious when used in combination with uh, behavioral therapies uh, and um, behavioral modifications to help smokers quit. With all of that combined, it's still incredibly difficult to quit smoking. Um, there are a lot of tools on different websites through the um, local Department of Health, and uh, like the Pennsylvania Department of Health has a nice one. Um, also, the American Lung Association has a really nice um, freedom from smoking, it's called. There's a number of... Um, you know, quitting smoking tools uh, that are available through social media. Um, But it's not easy. And um, uh, I think that you're correct that the stress of this pandemic may make uh, current smokers smoke more. And that will likely, as far as we understand it so far, put them at greater risk of um, a more severe COVID infection. But that does not mean that they should switch to vaping because there is uh, no evidence that vaping uh, reduces the likelihood of or reduces, increases the likelihood of of quitting combustible cigarette smoking. And um, many people continue to both vape and smoke at the same time after picking up vaping in an attempt to quit smoking. And what's worse is that there's a a large proportion of folks who never use combustible cigarettes at all, but because they're around folks who vape, they started vaping. Um, and then they switched eventually from vaping to vaping and smoking combustible cigarettes. So all of these pieces of data uh, tell us re- really convincingly that there's no role for vaping um, in um, as, a, as a harm reduction strategy for adult smokers. How long after you quit either vaping or smoking, does it take for the lungs to undo the damage? Can you undo the damage and do they become healthier and how long does that take? So there are some some aspects of of smoking-related lung disease that are reversible and um, certainly other diseases uh, that are affected by tobacco smoke like cardiovascular disease can reverse when um, someone quits smoking. It will take weeks months um, before there is a, sort of a complete recovery, um, if that's even possible in some folks. But remember, there are some types of lung diseases that are not reversible. So um, some types of chronic bronchitis and asthma may get better, may, re- may normalize um, if someone was a smoker and then is able to quit. But emphysema is destruction of the lung tissue. Um, and it, it will never return to normal. So if you have moderate emphysema or severe emphysema from years of smoking, um, I see many of my patients who have quit more than 20 or 30 years ago, 
and they still have significant, um, you know, emphysema with destructive, um, you know, the architecture of the lungs is destroyed, and that will never return to normal. Does vaping do the same thing? We don't actually have any evidence to believe that vaping causes emphysema. We know that vaping uh, is associated with um, types of chronic bronchitis and another type of disease called bronchiolitis obliterans, where the windpipes become extremely swollen and constricted. Um, And some vapors have been found to develop sort of bubbles on the surface of their lung that can rupture. And when those bubbles rupture, the lung will collapse. And the word for a collapsed lung is pneumothorax. So these these are kind of the spectrum of diseases that we see associated with vaping. Mostly these are nicotine products that are being vaped. Uh, Cannabis vaping has not been studied. Um, And so there are probably a whole host of other problems, including the um, e-volley epidemic that we can link pretty clearly to vaping cannabis products. But as far as we've been able to determine, vaping has not been associated with emphysema. So you don't want that at any time, but you sure don't want it during a a viral pandemic like this. Absolutely. So what, I mean, obviously quitting because it's not good for you, but do you have, what would, what would be your, your biggest tips? I mean, realistically for people to, is cutting back good enough or do you really just have to quit and how do, how do people quit? How do vapors quit now? I think cutting back is good. Uh, I, I I never sort of scoff at someone who's been able to kind of half their consumption of either combustible cigarettes or, or vaping products. I think that for some folks, they can go cold turkey and others really have to wean. Um, I think that the best thing to do if you're interested in quitting either vaping or smoking cigarettes is to uh, understand when and why you smoke or vape um, and set yourself up for success by um, you know, meeting with a doctor and deciding if pharmacotherapy is going to be advisable. Make sure your family and your friends or anyone you live with understand that you are trying to quit. Uh, because if you kind of hit this from every angle, you're going to be more successful. Um, and there's lots of online resources, uh, particularly for teens and young, and young adults that are available on smartphones that can give you text messages and daily reminders to help you stay, uh, you know, cognizant of this task at hand, which isn't easy, but is absolutely doable. So, Dr. Garfield, I, how are you doing? Are you seeing COVID cases yourself? Uh, yeah, so um, we are behind what's happening in New York, either because um, we are, you know, geographically uh, a few hours away from them, or we're just a different city than New York. We're not quite as congested and people don't use public transportation and uh, the way they do in New York. So it's not really clear if we are going to follow the exact same trajectory that New York uh, is following. Um, but even if we are going to follow it, we're, we're a few days, if not a few weeks behind them. And that has given us time to prepare. So we are far more prepared than our New York colleagues have been. And I am really grateful for the leadership and uh, courage of institutions like mine and some of the other institutions in Pennsylvania and across the country to really prepare 
to be honest with what this pandemic is going to look like or can look like and to set up system flow to quickly isolate patients who are positive, to get them tested quickly, to um, you know, screen, to uh, be able to randomize them into trials, to test therapies, to try to reduce the mortality. We, we may not be expected healthcare providers to reduce the incidence. The incidence of this virus is dictated by the public health efforts to curb, you know, to, to socially distance. That's what's going to reduce the incidence. But in terms of the morbidity and mortality, we have done really everything in our part to prepare for this. Tell me where you work, what facility you're working at, what facility you're, refer- you're referring to right now. So I work at uh, Temple University Hospital, um, which is a large tertiary referral center in North Philadelphia. And do you feel you have you have the protective gear that you you need? We do, we do. I mean, we have to be we have to make sure that we are using it carefully and responsibly. And we've come up with a lot of creative solutions to be able to optimize its use um, and prevent waste. Or um, you know, and we we have what we need right now. Um, uh, we have a lot more coming that we have. Um, that we expect will get us through this. But, you know, again, something that is completely uh, unprecedented that we've never seen before. We, we have to try to stress the system before the real stress comes and, and hope that we can find holes and patch them up before the patients just start pouring in. And I think that um, my institution has done a fantastic job at that. How do you do that? How do you stress the system and figure out where the holes are? I mean, you, you, you have to really be organized and you have to really lay out, well, if someone presents, you know, if someone calls from home and has these symptoms, where do they go? If someone comes into the emergency room and has these symptoms, where do they go? And how, you have to walk through the flow to make sure that at every point in this process, there are not bottlenecks that increase folks' exposure to one another or that potentially contaminate healthcare workers or contaminate other uh, otherwise healthy patients. Um, and so you have to really carefully work through the flow uh, of um, diagnosing and triaging uh, patients who are presenting and then the flow of taking care of them. We've, we've employed a bunch of new tactics, mostly uh, or not mostly, but including using technology and telehealth to minimize the exposure of um, folks who don't need to come to the hospital but need to be in conversation with doctors. And uh, we're using telehealth to keep track of healthcare providers' uh, symptoms. We're using telehealth to interact with patients in the hospital through their hospital doors uh, with iPads so that we can talk to them and ask them questions without having to don and doff protective equipment that is expensive and limited in a limited supply. Yeah. Dr. Garfield, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for the work you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic, or if you just want to know more than what you're hearing on the news right now, if you want to go a little deeper, if you want to know how this could change your life or your routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth Podcast.
Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.